everyone, this is Viv, and you're listening to the What Gives Podcast. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to our Women's History Month lineup. It's been a great month of talking to female-led, female-run organizations across the globe, and we have our final guests today. They're three amazing social entrepreneurs of the Ethical Bridge, working together to help preserve traditional craftsmanship and promote sustainable practices. Sustainability and social enterprise has been something that I've been wanting to talk about on the podcast for some time. So I'm super happy to welcome these three amazing women onto the podcast. And I'm going to actually let them introduce themselves. We have here today Gabby, Angie, and Patty. Hi, everyone. I'm Patricia Churiel. I'm originally from Venezuela. I've been in the U.S. for about 17 years now and moved with my family due to the political problems in the country. So we had political asylum when we moved here. So I've always been very passionate about the social impact space and have worked in communications and with nonprofit organizations for a long time. I actually started the World's Corner. So I'm the founder of the World's Corner. I started it about three years ago when I was living in Vietnam. So I was working and living in Southeast Asia for a while, and I started learning about the sustainable movement and sustainable fashion movement and also the impact of fast fashion in the country. So I was really interested in learning more, and I started meeting artisans there, which really inspired me to to start this, this social enterprise. So now I'm also the partner with the Ethical Bridge, so we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I'm super excited to be here. And thank you, Viv, for this opportunity. I am super excited to talk about your work in Vietnam because I also started my own thing there. So we'll definitely have to touch on that. Yeah, Angie, you want to go next? Yeah, sure. My name is Angie or Angelica Pimentel. I was born in Mexico and I have lived in Barcelona for almost four years now. I am a lawyer and I work in a data protection and digital law firm. My approach to the world of sustainability is funny. One of the reasons why I came to Barcelona was to study a master's degree in intellectual property law. For our final dissertations, my colleagues and I decided to enter in the almost unexplored world of the protection of traditional knowledge of indigenous communities. And I became very passionate about it. Soon after, together with another childhood friend, we opened an online store called Pedacito de Corazón, where we mainly sell rebozos that are like a type of Mexican shawls, very typical in, in, in Mexico, and we sell it here in Europe. But I felt we were delivering a poor job in terms of ethics and sustainability, so I understood that I had to learn more about this subject. So I began to collaborate and write in the blog of the Academia de Moda Sostenible, this is an educational platform entirely in Spanish about sustainable fashion. And together with my knowledge in law, along with my brand collaborations and now with the ethical bridge, have really opened my eyes to a new world of sustainable practices. So here I am. I do want to see how law and how what you've learned about sustainable practices, because I'm a novice as well. So I'm super excited to hear about your experiences and everything you've learned. You'll have to teach us. 
So hi everyone, hi Vic, thank you for having us. My name is Gabriela Martinez, I'd rather go with Gabby, which is shorter and easier. <laughs> I'm the founder of Wanuna, it's an LA-based social enterprise, and we connect consumers in general and retailers to ethically sourced goods, primarily from the Andean region. So I was born and raised in Ecuador, right in the middle of the Andes, Central Andean, and I moved to the U.S., five years ago. So I'm an immigrant here with my husband and I'm a qualified attorney as well as Angie. I'm a lawyer in Ecuador and also I hold a master's in health, safety and environment. And in general, in my life, I've been working in international trade of goods, workplace management systems in general, but mainly in conformity assessment processes. So that's uh, basically securing the supply chain of goods in international trade from origin to destination. Probably I've worked with manufacturers here in the U.S. as well, origin from China, um, India, Chile, Colombia, many different countries. So after working probably around eight years, I'm going to say as an HSC consultant, HSC stands for Health, Safety and Environment, just to make a short parenthesis here. So I moved to New York City. And when I moved to New York City, I faced many barriers, a lot of immigrants and especially professional immigrants we face when we move here, which is first, our credentials are not validated or rec entirely recognized, then the language barriers, then lack of network in general. So that puts you in a very disadvantaged position. So I started researching for different nonprofits serving my type of population and I ran to a very a very profound organization I'm going to say Upward Global and I signed up as a client to receive coaching and training and a bunch of different stuff. But they ended up hiring me. So that put me in the nonprofit industry. And then when I moved to LA I decided to launch my own business combining both of my worlds which is international trade and social impact with the nonprofit industry. So that's when I decided to launch Wanuna, that stands for, it's a combination of two words in Quechua, an indigenous dialect that means, Wanu means uh, natural fertilizer, and Nuna means soul. So I like to call my store a decision you make from your soul. And Wanuna started, and then I joined the other two wonderful women here, Patricia and Angie, and we launched the Ethical Bridge. Wow, everybody has such an amazing path, and we just have powerhouses here with us today. <laughs> so I'm super excited. Can y'all tell me about how you started Ethical Bridge and what are y'all doing? Gabby here. So it's a funny story because we started the Ethical Bridge right in the middle of this pandemic, and we actually haven't even met in person. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? But how it started? So when I launched my social enterprise Wanona last year. Then the pandemic hit March. We had a lot of batches in transit coming into our warehouse. And I started to experience as a solopreneur, sort of like an entrepreneurship blues, you know? So this whole entrepreneurial journey can be very lonely. And this is the unsexy part in general of a very potential exciting path. And what I decided is that I wanted to reach out to similar social enterprises around also female founded and by Latinas. So there's always this conception, right, about who runs social impact, who can create impact in the global South in general. And I saw that there is in general like a lack of Latinas leading this space. But I knew because of the research that there's a bunch of 
beautiful women doing this work. So I just started reaching out to uh, Patricia through a specific platform. Then we connected with Angie and another Latinas, but we decided to sort of like create this. At the beginning, we were calling it like a coalition or a collective work uh, where we could share our experiences. How is it going? How we can share better practices? How can we ensure that we are actually implementing the guarantee systems offered trade? So it started like a conversation of sharing our experience in general. And then is when, when we came up with the idea of we should do something together. There's a huge opportunity if we decide to come together as a force, as a single united force, then we can have one, a better portfolio of goods. So our offer is more attractive to potential buyers and then becoming stronger in general sustainability practices and the message that we are sending to our audience. And yeah, so that's when we decided to create the ethical bridge. And pretty much we're trying to put our culture out there. And we like to call ourselves is building bridges across cultures. And coming the three of us from different countries, working with artisans from different parts of the world, then we are definitely bridging the cultural aspect of goods and the cultural aspect of a good trading relationship. That's amazing. And I do want to hear more about the artisans that you work with and how you'll choose the type of goods that go into Ethical Bridge. Yeah, I think I think we all have stories about all the artisans that we work with. So I so like I said before, I, I started the the World's Corner when I was in Vietnam. So I met artisans there and I started working with a few different cooperatives of women from minority groups. So Vietnam has about 54 minority groups. And so I started in Hanoi with some of the women that were actually going to school at university and they were supporting themselves through, you know, making macrame bags and wall hangers and plant holders and things like that. And so I actually met them first and that's how you know, I started learning a little bit more about what they were doing and a little bit about their culture too. And a lot of the things that amaze me really, and this it still does to work with artisans is that, you know, they're really passionate about preserving their, their traditions, right? And they really want the next generations to appreciate them and to appreciate their culture and feel that their culture is actually a way to build a, a good future for themselves. So the first group that I started working with that group is called Move, and they were about 10 uh, young women that were going to school in Hanoi. They were all studying. One was studying communications, law, different majors. But they all came together because they were coming from different villages in, you know, in rural uh, Vietnam. And they all came together to create this business and support themselves. So they started reaching out to the expat community and they started doing markets and teaching people how to do macrame and telling them a lot about their culture. So a lot, the majority of them were from the Hmong minority group. And so they explained to people what the, the connection between the macrame or the materials that they were using with their culture and what you know, they were wearing and, and all of that. So, so yeah, so that's how I started, you know, working with artisans and they were the first ones. And it really inspired me because they were really creating 
a sustainable business, but also supporting themselves to go to school, which is amazing too, right? Like it's such an inspiring story to see young women, you know, really building a, a better future for themselves. So, so that's, that's how I started. I have a million stories of other artisans. So. <laughs> I love that. I actually have a little social enterprise myself in Da Nang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we also just employ university students as well. And, you know, they care about their community and they work so hard and yeah. they do it all to support themselves through yeah. school. And that's always inspirational to me. I mean, I, I'm Vietnamese myself, but I, I went to school over here and, you know, my situation is a lot different. Yeah. So I love hearing that story and the support and the love that you have for that community i'm sure gabby and angie have amazing stories from mexico and ecuador too (laughs) yeah i want to hear about mexico and ecuador mexico let's go with mexico yeah yeah of course for me it was a little bit different because as you know i am a lawyer so I, i didn't know really what was i was doing so as i started selling these shawls these rebosos I started to learn everything about it, you know? How do you make it? Where, where where does it come from? The textiles you use, everything. So I started exploring in small towns near the place where my dad was born. This is in a small town in Mexico called Pátzcuaro. This place is very famous because it's where all of the Day of the Dead happens, you know? This very traditional Mexican party of dead people. <laughs> And it was super surprising to find an underworld that continues to respect its traditional techniques to the maximum. So I wanted to learn from the woman behind the beautiful textiles they make, because as I was talking to them and everything, I understood it was very sad to know that the traditions is very likely to end with them. because their children and everyone, they don't really care anymore about this because they don't earn a lot of money with this. So they prefer to to do something else. So the dream for me would be to awake the society that these techniques are not lost and that we know how to appreciate them. So this is like my my dream, no? The ultimate dream. Yeah, I think the preserving culture and traditional craftsmanship part of Ethical Bridge is is something that's super important. All cultures are experiencing this, right? And we're all in fear of losing the language and losing traditions. Yes, the, the way they dress. For me, it was very surprising to be there in these little towns and women and men go dress, you know, with this, like, the modern life, they... Sometimes they they are using jeans over their traditional dress and it's kind of frustrating to see it, no? Because all techniques, we are losing them. So it's like sad. Well, that's why Ethical Bridge is here, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Gabby, let's hear about Ecuador. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to say that it's a combination of both. Same story as Patty and Angie. But in my case, I do believe that it had to do with the fact that growing up in Ecuador in general, like the way the country is distributed in terms of geographies or different regions, you are always sort of like exposed to different cultures. So, for example, the Andean Highlands inherited a lot of indigenous communities directly from the Inca Empire. So there is a strong presence of indigenous culture. 
But the sad part of that is that Latin America has a very, very strong inheritance of colonialism and is a very social hierarchy culture in general. So when you start to look at the inequalities happening over there, in my case, it was more like a social justice driven thing that I decided to do. Because when you grow up just in touch with everyone, but at the same time, you realize that not everyone has the same opportunities. I had the privilege to go to a good high school, to university, not only for an undergrad, but for a graduate degree. And then international trade in general has this power of creating economic opportunities for everyone. So in my case, it was trying to do something to know that your peers have the opportunity to succeed in general. And growing up with indigenous communities and with different cultures, you know how valuable those traditions are and how deeply rooted their traditions, language are within them. But there's a part of the society that we are just not given the value it deserves. So... I'm going to just put an example of how I met a specific group that I work with. I decided to do a road trip. It was probably like a month long road trip just throughout the Ecuadorian Andes. And throughout these beautiful and so magnificent mountains across the entire highlands of Ecuador, you are, you just start meeting different groups, different communities that have different cultures. You start to see like their fashion and that fashion has Angie was mentioned, showcases sort of like the culture's evolution, being confronted to communities, traditions, development. And while talking to them, you also start to notice different needs. And then I met this incredible woman called Matilde, and their friends call her Matico. And she's a community leader, and she's like a super activist for the indigenous uh, population's rights. So when I started talking to her, she mentioned to me, the indigenous culture in general is sort of like led by machismo or like um, chauvinism. I believe that's the word that you, you use here. And she suffered physical and psychological abuse from her husband for years. So she decided to file a divorce, and that meant her family's repudiation. So then she opened up like this handicraft center and she started welcoming women who were going through their same situation. And when I talked to her, it was sort of like a, an aha moment, like they need to have more income. They need to have more revenue. And there's something I can do to support these amazing women and so talented and trying to preserve the traditions like Patty was saying, they want to preserve, but there is like this economic component that is just not coming in a healthy way so they can sustain their hopes and dreams. This is how, you know, like the interactions with the artists and partners started and the many stories you start to listen and to know of. Yeah, I think that is a super important part of Ethical Bridge is that you're a social enterprise. So there's that economic component of empowering women, empowering different people, different communities through business and through entrepreneurship, right? Mm -hmm. So it sounds like Ethical Bridge is a huge umbrella for a bunch of different dreams and missions. I just want to hear about the conscious consumerism aspect. Yeah, I can um, talk a little bit about that. I, so when you think about conscious consumerism, it's more about the idea of taking like a holistic approach into when you're making a decision to buy a product or to even support a brand, right? So you're taking into consideration things like the economic impact, the social 
impact and also, of course, you know, the impact in the environment too. So when I, you know, think about this concept, it reminds me of like not being selfish when you're making a decision, right? Like really being intentional about what you buy, right? So asking those questions, right? Like who made this clothes or what are the materials used to make this, you know, scarf? Or how is this community impacted by my purchase too, right? So there's so many different aspects that come together when you think about being, you know, a conscious consumer. And what we like to address in in the ethical bridge and within our own organizations too, is that there's a lot to learn, but as long as you really want to educate yourself, you can make such a big difference in the lives of the owners of the social enterprises, right? Like the the female founders, but also the people that are making those products too in their communities. And so we also think about supporting female founders too, because as we know, when you're investing in women, you're also investing in their entire communities, right? You're supporting their families. They are supporting, you know, people across their villages and helping preserve their culture too. So there's so much impact goes into just that one purchase that you make. Yeah, I've been thinking about that more and more lately. I used to just buy things that I know are come from recycled goods. And then mm-hmm. I learned about greenwashing. And then I learned about <laughs> the environmental effects of shipping. And I'm just yeah. like crippled, like I can't buy anything anymore. So I, <laughs> it's, yeah. it, I will say it is overwhelming and mm-hmm. it is tough to start consuming consciously. And I do want to c- continue to encourage that practice yeah. in the listeners, in my own life. So on the note of conscious consumerism, can you tell us about fair trade, how you can tell the difference, what it even means for those that might not be aware? Yeah, absolutely. So just to give you a little more context, right? So fair trade is a global movement. And what fair trade actually is advocating for is for first fair prices. And that means that the fair price uh, is given to the artisan or the um, farmer in this case. Also about the traceability and the transparency within the supply chain and promoting opportunities or generating opportunities for disadvantaged economies in general. Right. Then how to identify a fair trade item? can be very complex and it does demand some research. And as Patty mentioned, within the social consumer's idea, you do have to be intentional. And I'd like to recommend three things. First is going to the seller. So who's selling you the product? And do your research and make sure that the seller is providing you public information about the product. So if you do have who has made the product, then you have a component of transparency. If you can tell where this product has been made and it's traceable, then it's probably compliant to fair trade. Then you can always make an informed decision of prices competing in the market. So if, let's say if I have a basket and the public price is around, let's say, 30 to $35, and then I have another product next to it selling for $5, then there's a huge difference. If we are talking the same materials, the same technique, why that difference? That's probably because someone's assuming that cost, and that's typically the artisan. So if you combine both transparency, traceability, a fair price, 
And then another component here that I, I will add is label. So one of the things that we always try to do is we label our product, who made it, when it's made. Well, if you have the resources and the logistics, then it's ideal, you know, just to perhaps even have a signature of who did that. But at least having a label of the art country of origin, you know. So yeah, that those are like in honor of time, you know, just to give you like a brief explanation of how to identify something's being fair trade. And as a fair trade, either buyer, seller, or trader, however you want to call it, <laughs> the one of the very important things is the partnership that you create with your partners or with the artisans. It encompasses a couple of things that you have to do, and one of them is to have a contract or at least having everything properly documented. Or you can prove, you can prove your relationship. You can prove how much you've bought, how much you've, you've sold. So in general, that's one of the things you have to do. Then another thing that you have to do is to create the opportunity for growth. So what we do, so I know that Patty has a specific model, business model or social business model, where she sends a percentage back to the artisans. In my case, is everything we sell, we reinvest, either in new product, in training or something. But fair trade in general, you have to create an opportunity for growth and integrity. That means that all of these principles that I've mentioned before have to be understood as a holistic thing. You cannot claim fair trade if you're only paying a fair price. You have to be traceable, transparent, accountable. All of them have to be understood as a whole. That's integrity. And the last principle is promotion. As a fair trade seller, talking about fair trade practices, sharing the knowledge, everything is about knowledge transfer. What you've learned, then you share because you're trying to advance and amplify the message that fair trade wants to put out there. Wow. And I assume that Ethical Bridge, y'all have a ton of things that y'all do to apply with your values and the principles that you've just outlined, right? Yeah. I mean, it's super hard work, honestly, to be compliant to fair trade. But the rewards are just unbelievable. You know that you're providing first job security, then creating opportunities for growth. Then you are just sharing in general knowledge. It has an educational component. And at the end, the livelihoods of the artisans are being improved and you are supporting community development, cultural continuity. It's just like a super holistic approach of fair trade. So the work is worth it. It sounds worth it. Yeah. And I know y'all also have a sustainability component to your business. And I know sustainability is a buzzword right now. And a lot of people are using it to mean different things. Can you give me your own definition in how y'all practice sustainability? Yes, for sure. As you said, first of all, the term sustainability has gained a lot of popularity, mainly with the COVID-19 crisis. But it is a practice that has been with us for several years now. Uh, one of the good things that have emerged because of the pandemic is that we, as consumers, have learned that companies have an active role in solving social problems. And I want to think, really want to think, that we have become much more critical when making decisions about any purchase. People often associate the term sustainability with being environmentally friendly, but it encompasses much more. Sustainability also implies that companies show their concern 
both for the economic progress and the social well-being of the participants throughout their whole production chain, for example. In the projects that we all three have, and also in the ethical bridge, I think we are more focused on generating economic and social well-being for the communities we work with. Of course, the environmental part is also present. These communities have always worked with natural materials that they cultivate or dye themselves, for example. So yes, for us, like sustainability is to really show our concern, both for the economic progress and the social well-being of the communities and artisans we work with. Yeah, I I do think that a lot of traditional practices just tend to be sustainable, tend to be culturally rich, and tend to have all these values tied to it that just have gotten lost in the modernization of the world. So I love that a lot of the goods that y'all work with are, you know, naturally sustainable because they're using natural materials. Also, the fair trade movement in general, the way we work, is extremely related to the UN Sustainable development goals by creating opportunities for disadvantaged producers, by promoting fair trade practices, no discrimination, gender equality, fair payment, transparency, and no child labor. We are also contributing to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So just to make this specific association, right? So there is a way, it's a movement how it's contributing to the reducing of inequalities and bridging that gap as well. There are a lot of things to consider when consuming and when creating a business. Can you talk to us about little ways that you live and consume consciously and ways that everybody can live and consume consciously regardless of where they are, their class? I think it, it all comes down to, you know, that being intentional piece, right? Like when you're you're purchasing something, I think it all it's about really caring about what's behind that product that you buy. For me, and a really easy way because, you know, with sustainable fashion and slow fashion, there's always that association of like that's expensive, right? Or they don't have a lot of options or things like that. So I think it can be as easy as just wearing what you have multiple times more than just once, right? what you have in your closet so that shop your closet can make such a big difference, right? Because you're not constantly buying and, and supporting this fast fashion brands, right? That are making collections every week. So I think that's an easy step to take as, you know, an individual. And the other thing, I think for me with this business and, you know, through this experience, I think it's just learning about the cultures, being connected and becoming a little bit more knowledgeable about the people who are making the products and you find out so many beautiful things and I'm in love of like the whole storytelling piece right where you're you find out that pattern in a scarf is actually the story or a love story from a you know village right or things that are so rich and so beautiful that I think we should take that into consideration when we're buying something, you know, the story behind it, the people behind it. And I think that's that's an easy way is just being curious, right? And, and being curious about what's what happens when you make that purchase and who's impacted by it. I always think about the easiest way because like you said, it, it's so overwhelming and 
then you find out all these different, you know, little things like you mentioned, like shipping costs and all this stuff. And it's so overwhelming. And I'm like, I, I, you have to find ways that work for you. That's awesome. One way that I have found me and my roommate in Best Friends Rush, we go thrifting a lot. And that's one way where we can look at our shopping as a way of recycling. And we find pieces that speak to us and, you know, is probably someone's favorite piece that they've worn a million times. And sometimes we feel that energy on just like a clothing piece and we like, we love it. (laughs) So that's, that's kind of one practice that we do in our household is thrifting a lot. And I grew up thrifting and I love it. So that's my little tidbit. (laughs) You know, I think just the small things really help. I do believe that a path towards sustainability is context and resource dependent. So it depends on how much money at disposal or in pocket you have, because we have to be honest. Patty mentioned one is just reusing your clothes, thrifting, as you mentioned. But then if you have a little extra, you can always think of perhaps doing a little list of what values or causes you feel like supporting. And either if it's like reduction of poverty, environmental quality, gender equality, clean water, you know, like just make a list of your own little values. And the good thing nowadays that I do want to, you know, highlight is that for consumers right now, everything is workable. So you can find so many things out there. And by making these little value and beliefs least, then you can make yourself a promise. And that's the way I like to look at it. I'm going to promise myself that I'm going to do something. Perhaps even I consider as a healing process, you know, you can think of where my individual well-being sets, the ecological aspect of it, or a social limit. Does that matches my values? Then you have a whole range of products out there. And then choose that one that's really aligned with your own beliefs and values list. Thank you for saying that, Gabby. I I love that. Just making a promise to yourself. Yeah. And there's a healing component to it, right? I think about fast fashion and just the images that, that we consume daily and how it has you know, kind of been harmful to us um, in terms of how we view ourselves, how we compare ourselves, and there has to ha- be a healing component to the way we consume. Right, yeah. On that note, can I ask y'all where we can find Ethical Bridge, where we can shop, what what we can do? No, yes, where, where you can find us, you can find us in theethicalbridge.com and also in Instagram. And there you can find all our services and you can find also our catalog that reunites all our three projects, really. And you can find there like a vast explanation about every artisans we work with and every product also. And it's very interesting if you can go and check it. Amazing. And I learned so much from all of y'all about fair trade and sustainability and just the stories. I would love to know about the vision that y'all have for the marketplace and for the future. So the future of the marketplace is really looking good. I do believe that there's a sort of like a switch from the consumer's standpoint. Like we've seen the rise of big brands switching to more sustainable fabrics. So in general, that's really encouraging. On the other hand, I do feel that the vision where we're heading to is to creating a more digital approach to our partners. We've realized that they rely so much on tourism and stationary tourism in general. So for us, creating a digital bridge is also very important, connecting to 
more potential buyers from the wholesale perspective. And also the English language is a barrier for them. So once you enter an international market, especially in a, in a digital platform, you need that support of the language, you know, also there's like this bargaining thing that they are not used to, like, because of the way of living is so community based. Most of them are living in rural areas. So the intensity of the U.S. market, for example, pushing sales. So in general, what we are trying to do is creating the digital space to bring more interaction and dynamism to, in general, like their trading relationships. So our vision is definitely to create these wholesale partners in different markets, working here in the U.S. and in Europe through Angie, who's in Barcelona. So we are actually targeting to different areas and trying to maximize opportunities in general. I think also we're envisioning partnerships with universities and with students that are interested in, in learning and and really incorporating those uh, practices into their designs and their classes too. So that's a big part of our outreach, right? And, and that building those partnerships with schools where we can be a resource and a connection, like that bridge, right, between the artisans and the students and always keeping in mind that what we're doing is appreciating the culture and we're not trying to take away from those techniques or improve them or anything because we don't think there needs to be anything to be improved. There are actually a lot that we need to learn from them to help improve the fashion industry. Yes, finally, like, to educate, no, to educate our audience, because I think it's very important, like, for them to know what is fair trade, for example, that Gabi explained us. And people don't really know, like, if you say it's fair trade or it's ethically made or it's sustainable, it's not just the worth, it's the, the, the work that is behind it, that it's very complex. So I think that we also want to educate our audience to learn these these concepts, really. Amazing. I am that audience <laughs> that needs a little bit more education. So I just <laughs> want to say I've learned so much from the three of you. I've learned so much about sustainability, conscious consumerism, fair trade. I mean, I've learned a lot in this past hour with you all. And I love speaking to like women. <laughs> um, it's like, a, I think Vietnamese culture is super matriarchal. And I don't know, if, Patty, if you've seen this when you were in Vietnam, but yeah, definitely. businesses are run by women. Family is run by women that matriarchal culture really runs thick in Vietnamese blood. So I, I think that's where I'm super proud of, of my own culture. And I want to continue to bring that into my professional space. And seeing y'all doing that to, with your own traditions and culture is super inspiring to me. Thank you, Viv. And thank you for creating this space because it's important for all of us to come together and, and see what everyone is doing. It's a little bit of inspiration and also, you know, it helps you think about what you want to do and what you want, you know, your purpose in life too. So thank you for creating this. Yes, together we are stronger. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. For more information, head to our website at whatgivesproject.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.